If you've got a Bible, don't worry if you haven't, um, the words are going to come up on the screen in a moment. But uh, I want to focus around this little phrase that um, comes up in the Gospels quite a bit. And it is, um, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of... Just realised, I forgot, Lay, you should have been sharing about the women's... I do apologise. I'll carry on, is that all right? Um, Hosanna to the son of... The, forget what I just said. It was just a little, little, little glitch in the program this morning. <laughs> um, because it comes up a number of times in the Gospels, but particularly in the reading that we're going to have. And so I just want to like, kind of focus around that phrase. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Um, if you haven't, the words are going to come up on the screen, and I'm going to read these verses for us. Okay? In fact, they're the first 13 verses. Matthew 21, 1 to 13 says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, through the prophet, which says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road also. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and said, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Hosanna to the son of of David. Hosanna to the son of David. The piece of the Bible that we've just read is commonly known as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. If you've got a, a, a Bible, you might see that at the top of that piece of, of, of the Bible, where Jesus' entry is seen as a triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem just days before he is put to death on the cross. Over the last couple of weeks, I've read these verses a few times, and over my life, many times. And so when I came to this 
piece of the Bible again, I kind of thought I'd like to notice something that maybe I've not noticed before, or I'd like to see something different. And this, this phrase really stood out to me, Hosanna to the Son of David. So I'm going to dive straight in, and we're just going to share a few thoughts around this phrase. The context of what we've just read is that Jesus is on a road walking towards his last leg of his time on earth. Jesus is entering the last few days of his life and ministry here on the earth. Jesus knows that in a few days, suffering and death is coming his way. And so he is on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. If you go back into chapter 20, um, Jesus is leaving Jericho. Jericho to Jerusalem is around about 18 miles. So he's on foot with his disciples and he's leaving Jericho to go into Jerusalem. And when he comes into Jerusalem, this is what took place in terms of what we've just read. And that's the phrase that was being shouted to him by the crowds. Hosanna to the son of David. Now, I think it's really important that we give a little bit of context to why they were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. And the reason that I've mentioned chapter 20 is because at the end of chapter 20, this phrase is shouted again. Not by a crowd but by two blind men. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, it says, two blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, or in another version, it says they cried out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us, son of David. When we read that little phrase in chapter 20, and it says they shouted out, it's just really interesting that the, the Greek word there for the word shout or cried out is a word called krazo. And it literally means to scream or to shriek. And it was like, these two blind men sitting on the side of the road heard that Jesus was coming that way and they began to scream and shriek and shout out, Jesus! That woke you up, didn't it? Just in case you got to the stage of the meeting where you just started to drop off. You're not now. And they began to scream and shout, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the people that were standing around them said, Shut up. Stop it. So they shut up and stopped. No, they didn't. It says that they shouted out all the more. And again, they repeated the same phrase. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And they began to cry out to Jesus, this son of David. Matthew, who is writing this gospel, writes largely to a Jewish audience. 
And so the Jewish people would understand what this phrase, son of David, is all about. In fact, Matthew, more than any other gospel writer, uses this phrase, son of David. He, he concentrates. If you read the gospel of Matthew, you'll find that this phrase, son of David, comes up about 10 times throughout the gospel at different junctures, different places in the vineyard. You see, as Matthew writes to this Jewish audience, they would have fully understood the significance of this phrase. Because, G, because the son of David was a promise that they would have known for centuries. The son of David coming, the king coming, Hosanna to the son of David, would have been the deliverer that was coming to the Jewish nation to deliver them from all the oppressors and all those that were enemies of that nation. He was the, messi, he was the messianic king. He was the ultimate king. He came from the line of David. There would be one day a king that would come from the line of David and he would save his people. He would deliver them from oppression and from the enemies of the Jews. And so there were centuries and centuries and centuries of history of anticipation that just one day this son of David would come and set the captives free. And so these blind men, blind men, I read a little bit about the blind this week because I was just intrigued. And one of the things that I read about blind people is that they often have a greater perception because they can't see, they have a real sense of perception in some of the other senses. And I just wonder if these two blind men realised that as Jesus was coming along the road that day, maybe they realised and had an understanding, we've got to get in here. Maybe they had a perception of who Jesus was. Was Maybe they had a perception of the time and the urgency of that day, the urgency of that week. And as they sat on the roadside and they realised that, you know what, this just could be my moment. This just could be the last chance that this son of David could set me free and cause me to see. But here's something really interesting that I found. This is the first time that Jesus publicly responds to this statement. Because Jesus stopped as they said these words and he calls them and he says, yeah, what do you want me to do for you? Now the reason that I think this is really interesting is because if you go back a whole load of chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, you realise that there was another day in chapter 15 verse 22 where another woman called on Jesus and she also mentioned that phrase. In chapter 15 verse 22 it says, the Canaanite woman cries out using the same phrase, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Her daughter had been possessed by a demon. She didn't know what to do. And she cried out that verse, to, that, those words to Jesus. And in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 15, it says this. Jesus did not say a word. He did not respond to that phrase. He did not say a word. And yet in this chapter, in chapter 20... Jesus responds for the first time publicly to this phrase, Jesus, son of David, have mercy, have mercy on me. There was almost like a public recognition by Jesus that I am the Messiah. I am the son of David. I am the one who has come to deliver. That phrase has unprecedented significance in the history of that day. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 to 6 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David 
a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In this day, Judah will be saved and Israel will lie in safety. Way back in Jewish history, it was prophesied that this son of David would come. What does it say in Zechariah verse nine, chapter nine, verse nine? We've, almost, we've read these words in the Matthew scripture. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Right throughout the scriptures the Jews believed and expected and held on to the moment that a king would come from the line of David a Messiah to rule to overthrow all of Israel's enemies and to reign supreme everyone knew who the son of David was he was the messianic king who had been predicted for centuries And as Jesus responds to these two blind men who cry out this phrase, he goes up to them and says, what can I do from you? It was like Jesus was admitting, yes, I am he. I am the one. I am the Messiah. I am the king that has come. And I guess for the disciples, it was one of those, oh my gosh, moments. You see... The disciples knew who he was. They'd seen his power. They'd seen Jesus perform miracles. They'd seen Jesus like walk on water. They'd seen Jesus teach with authority. They'd, they, they knew all of this. And maybe in that moment of time, they, they began to just like realize that Jesus is responding to this statement. And in that moment of time, they're being thinking, come on. This is the moment. This is the moment where Jesus is going to come and kick butt. This is the moment where Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem and he's going to get hold of the authorities and he's going to be crowned as king. He's going to to dismantle the Roman Empire and at last the Messiah, the, the, the anointed one, the deliverer is here and he's going to set up his reign and he's going to set up his throne on earth and the Roman Empire is going to crumble and Jesus is going to be the king of the earth. And I reckon there was an anticipation in the disciples that says, this is the moment. And it was like Jesus, by making that stand as the the king coming into the city, as the one who comes to deliver his people, it's almost like Jesus has a choice to make. He now has a choice. As he comes riding into into the city on the donkey, he has a choice to make. He either rises up and becomes the king of the people there on earth, Or he has to be annihilated by the authorities and they will crush him. It was almost like there is now no middle ground. Jesus, you've either got to become the king here right now or you're going to be annihilated and be crushed by the enemies. Because if Jesus comes in and rises up and becomes the king right there and then, if Jesus comes in and overthrows the authorities of the Roman Empire right there and then, that's going to be amazing. But if he doesn't, he's going to be crushed. He's going to be annihilated by the authorities because they're not going to put up with some guy coming in and making claims without a whole load of comeback on him. I was, I was reading some stuff that Timothy Keller said about this chapter in Matthew, and he says this. Really, what Jesus is saying is, it's now do or die. Jesus now has to either triumph and be victorious or be smashed and destroyed. It really is that clear. Time was running out for the life of Jesus on earth, and he was either going to have to say, 
This is my moment to reign here on earth or I'm going to be destroyed and crushed. It was a do or die moment. He either had to be triumphant and victorious right there or he was going to be crushed and smashed by the authorities. What is Jesus going to do? Do you know what? I'd have been in the crowd. I'd have been saying, come on, Jesus. I'm a Jewish person. I've lived here under the regime of the Romans. I've known what it feels like to have a dictatorship above me. And I'd have been saying, come on, Jesus. Now's the time. Let's sort them out. And I can imagine as he enters the city, the masses gave way. The masses rather gathered. Those that had travelled along with him on the road. The expectant crowd that were waiting for him in Jerusalem. It was the moment of the king. And they begin to lay palm branches down on the road. And they begin to throw their cloaks down on the road. And they begin to shout about this amazing man that was coming in to the city. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Surely this is his crowning moment. Surely this is the moment when Jesus is going to come in and do what we've always hoped for. But he didn't come in as a, as on a war horse. He came in on a donkey. There's a beautiful little verse in verse 5. It says that he came in gentle and lowly. There was not going to be any war horse entry. You know, when you come in as a king, you didn't come in on a donkey. Because the donkey was the animal of a servant. The steed of a king is not a donkey. It's the animal of the lowly, the ordinary person. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. And I wonder if that sent like mixed messages to Jesus' disciples. I wonder if they thought to themselves, mm, this doesn't look quite right. Maybe they thought, you know what? We've known all along that Jesus is the king. We've known all along that he's the Messiah. We know all along of all that the prophetic has said in the Old Testament stories This doesn't look quite right. Why is Jesus coming in on a donkey? Surely if he's going to come in as king to the city, he should come in with splendor and glory and majesty and power and authority. Why doesn't he come in on a horse? Why is he sitting on the back of a donkey? And here's the reason. Because Jesus didn't come in to set up a kingdom on earth and reign and dismantle the authorities. He came for a different reason. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8 says this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came to give his life. Jesus came to die a death on a cross. Jesus was probably saying, you've either got to crown me or kill me. But there's no middle ground. You've either got to take my life and kill me or crown me. As I read this story this last few weeks, I just think God in my own little quiet times and my own prayer times just begin to say to me again, Graham, where do you put Jesus in your life right now? 
Do I crown Jesus as my king on a daily basis? Do I live for him and put him as number one in my life? Or do I put him down my list of priorities? You see, as I've just been thinking about Jesus coming as king, I've begun to understand maybe again in my own life that I don't, I don't always know if I do put Jesus as Lord. I'm not sure that Jesus is always the king of my life. I'm not always sure that I want to cry out those words, Hosanna, to the son of David. I'm not always sure in my life that I get it right day in, day out. But sometimes I just like kind of, God, would you do something new in me at this time? Jesus was crushed for my iniquities. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter so that I might know God for myself. And I think one of the I think what Jesus, I think one of the things that Jesus was saying as he came into the Jerusalem that day is this. I'm either your king or I'm not. You've either got to give me your all or nothing. I don't think I can have a faith without submission to the lordship and Jesus, the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus came in, in full control, as he came into that city, riding on a donkey, as he came in to give his life for the salvation of of mankind, Jesus was never going to come and set up an earthly kingdom. Jesus was never going to come and kick the Romans out. He was never going to come in and set up his authority on the earth in the way that they thought he was going to. He came in to be crushed and to sacrifice his life for the liberation and the freedom of all mankind. And I think the message of Palm Sunday as Jesus comes in as king is a question to his followers today. Are you going to kill me or are you going to crown me? Are you going to give your all to me or are you going to give nothing to me? I believe that Jesus has to have everything or nothing There is no middle ground. Jesus came as a king, but he came to suffer and to die. He came to give his life as a ransom for all of mankind. And as he rode into that city on that Palm Sunday, just a few days before he was put to death, he knew what he was doing. He knew that his destiny was not to throw and overcome a Roman Empire, but it was to give his life so that any man and woman throughout history could know him as king. And I think there is a really good challenge in this story for us today, and that's this. Will we surrender to the king who came? to give his life as a ransom? Will our call be Hosanna to the son of David? 
will our cry be, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one that came to deliver me from all of my fears. You are the one that came to deliver me from all of my sin. You are the one that came in lowly, gentle, as a servant. You are the one that was willing to humble himself. You did not consider it equality with God, something to be grasped, the Bible says, but you lowered yourself. Even you lowered yourself lower than the angels and you were willing to give your life to death, even death on a cross so that you could be the king of my life, that you could be the deliverer of my soul. You could be the one that would come and set me free. And do you know what Jesus is asking of us all? Will you surrender your whole life to me? Will you give everything to me? Because that's what I want. That's what I demand. That's the condition of discipleship. You know, Jesus is here to help us. Jesus is here to be our friend. But I don't think we can just go through life and just pick on Jesus' help or pick on Jesus' friendship just as and when we want without first submitting our lives to him. That in this season of my life, am I willing to give my all to the king who came to give his all for me? Am I willing to submit my thought processes? Am I willing to submit everything that I have and everything I am to the king that comes? To the king that came to sacrifice his life? Jesus, I want you today to have, I want you to have my all. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take everything that I am and I will submit it to the cross. I've been a Christian for over 40 years, my days. And I'm standing here in this season of my life with all that I have, but all that I want is to surrender all to him. Yesterday morning, Michelle and I had a bit of time together to pray And we were just having a discussion on how blessed we are. We're in our mid to late 50s now. And when you get to that stage in life, you kind of think, I wonder what retirement will look like. Or I can just like sit and put my feet up and watch my grandchildren grow up and mortgages paid and, you know, it's time to just sit back a bit and just like take it easy. And as we talked yesterday morning, we just both said to one another, God, we don't want to do that. We just want to keep living for you. While we've got breath in our bodies, while you've given us strength to live, we just want to keep submitting our lives to the Lordship of Christ. We want to keep surrendering our lives to the King. This means, Jesus, I want to give you my house. I want to give you my money. I want to give you my time. I want to give you everything. And as I hopefully grow old, in 10, 15 years' time, I still want to be saying, God, I give you my all because you are my king and I submit and surrender my life to you. I know that some of you sitting here today are not sure whether... Jesus is even the Lord of your life. 
And I don't want to make it super easy for people to become Christians. I think sometimes we invite people to come become Christians. We say, come, Jesus wants to be your friend. Well, he does. Come, Jesus wants to help you. Well, he does. But Jesus needs to be our Lord. He needs to be the one that we surrender our whole lives to. We can't have a faith without submission to him. And maybe you are a Christian here today and maybe you've got to the ripe old age of being in your mid-50s and you know, you're thinking about oh, retirement and what might be coming in the next 10 years and you're thinking, oh, it's just going to get a bit easier. Or maybe you're younger than that and you're thinking, I've got to get a house and I've got to get all those things lined up in my life because I've got plans for my life and plans for my future. But Jesus wants it all. Because I don't know how many days of my life I will breathe. Jesus does. I'd like to think I could plan into my life ahead, but who knows? But while I'm here, Jesus, you can have it all. I want to surrender and sacrifice my life to you because I recognize you are the king that came to give your life for me.